Two recent separate sets of arrests for Zeus-related online banking schemes and ACH fraud have brought the prosecution of cybercriminals once again to the forefront. What are the next steps prosecutors are likely to take, and how far-reaching an impact could the prosecution of these Zeus-related crimes have on the industry? Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. I'm here today with Dave Nevetta, founding partner at Information Law Group, a virtual law firm that focuses on IT and security cases. Dave, the arrest we saw last week of two separate groups for cyber-related crimes has garnered a great deal of attention. From a high-level perspective, what does the arrest of these two separate groups tell us about the direction law enforcement is taking in its fight against cyber attacks? Well, I think it tells us that as much as the cyber criminals themselves are highly organized, uh, which is obvious, law enforcement and the banking industry itself is, is getting organized in its response. These arrests obviously involved international cooperation between law enforcement and information sharing between the industry and, and law enforcement and, and a lot of patients to be able to actually pull a, such a large arrest off. Uh, they also tell us that in, while in many cases the authorities uh, may not be able to get to the masterminds of these schemes, they can engage in efforts that can significantly impact and disrupt the criminal enterprises uh, employing the Zeus bot. These arrests, I would think, also may lead to further information that could uh, result in further arrests up the food chain. So it'll be interesting to see how well the leaders of these cyber um, attacks have insulated themselves from the from the money mules on the ground floor. And it'll also be interesting to see what kind of uh, workarounds the cyber criminals employ to avoid this type of situation in the future. But I think overall it's a net positive to see this type of aggressive action by law enforcement uh, to try to take take some um, initiative in these cases. One of the things that's been interesting about these both of these um, arrests, actually, was that we had international cooperation among law enforcement, and the fight against cyber attacks is an international one. What role do financial institutions and the financial industry overall play in helping to bring these cyber criminals to justice? Well, I think we'll see more uh, instances of the industry itself and individual banks uh, cooperating and gathering information and sharing information with law enforcement and also between uh, industry players. These attacks are happening all over the world to banks of different sizes and uh, different resources. The mode of attack may vary in some cases, and industry uh, education on the whole is very important uh, in order to expose vulnerabilities. So overall, I think the more information that can be gathered by the industry, centralized, standardized, uh, and the more it's shared, the more ability law enforcement will have to understand these attacks, make arrests, and ultimately prosecute criminals. Uh, and I also think these types of crimes are so fluid, the information gathering has to also involve kind of a proactive approach that uh, hopefully keeps one step ahead of the criminals as opposed to reactively addressing them, these matters as they come about. So the more proactive I think this information gathering rule and information sharing rule is, the more chance that hopefully these things will be prevented, these attacks will be prevented in the first instance, but if they do happen, there may be prosecutions uh, that come about. And, you know, from a law enforcement and industry point of view, the more prosecutions that happen, the more arrests, the more potential for deterrence. Now, Dave, in the cases that I noted above, one crime ring out of the United Kingdom was busted for pilfering from online U.S. bank accounts. In the other case, charges were brought against individuals in the U.S., money mules, who had committed ACH and wire fraud from locations scattered throughout the world. When we look at these cases specifically, what do you see the next steps being, not only for law enforcement, but also for the courts? Yeah, I think for law enforcement, I believe the current goal is to disrupt the operations of some of the bigger criminal rings that are engaging in this online banking fraud and send a message that this type of behavior is going to result in adverse consequences 
and won't be tolerated overall. In terms of next step, I think law enforcement is going to try to leverage these arrests and prosecutions and, and the obvious cooperation they've been able to obtain into trying to reach uh, higher rungs of the criminal ladder and trying to reach the actual people who are basically the masterminds behind these criminal enterprises, the CEOs of these criminal enterprises, so to speak. Um, the question, of course, is going to be whether or not in light of jurisdiction, jurisdictional issues and political issues, they're actually going to be able to get into the higher levels of these criminal enterprises. On the court or prosecution legal side, the issue is um, whether or not, first of all, they can ultimately identify the leaders of these um, criminal enterprises and whether they can get them into court uh, to prosecute them. It's been reported that most of the, or many of the criminal masterminds are believed to reside in, in Eastern European countries and extradition is going to be very difficult in those countries. Uh, it also may be in these countries that the criminals are somewhat involved or have relationships with government officials and there may be some corruption going on that also may insulate the criminals to some degree. So I think the challenge for the courts and, and to some degree the outcome of whether or not we can get to the, the leaders of these rings is a political issue in some sense. And uh, not only does law enforcement have to get involved, but the, the governments of countries who are being hit, impacted by these uh, cyber crimes need to start putting some pressure on some of these countries to allow um, for cooperation and, and prosecution of the masterminds that are um, residing in these countries. Now, when we move beyond the political issue, we also have an emerging technology issue. A few incidents of Zeus-like attacks have been reported on mobile devices. What threat do you see the mobile channel posing for security? Is it more vulnerable to malware or other types of attacks than we think? Well, I see more mobile security as a big challenge going into the future. Um, I still think culturally we as a society still think of our cell phones as cell phones, uh, mobile phones, as opposed to extremely and increasingly more powerful computers that are sitting in our pockets and storing some of the most sensitive data or, or potentially providing access to some of the most sensitive data, including potentially online banking credentials. And so I, I, I view it as, a, as an area where perhaps we haven't addressed the security issues as much as, as we have in our traditional desktop computers or laptop computers. Just the fact that people lose phones all the time with all this information and potential access is a kind of a different type of uh, risk. But then also there is the, the risk of malware uh, being installed on these devices. They essentially do the same thing as any other computer. They, they attach to the Internet and, and transmit data back and forth. And so there, that vulnerability is certainly one that exists. Uh, we're getting to a point where you know, the computers themselves, the actual mobile computing devices, are, are very powerful, but it's not clear that they're powerful enough to actually um, uh, employ robust security controls. I haven't seen much for instance, on the iPhone and, and the ability to encrypt data that may reside on your iPhone. Um, I know the BlackBerry has the ability to brick the BlackBerry if it's ever stolen or lost, but the fact of the matter is, is that, uh, kind of ironically, the computers that we hold in our pockets are, are powerful enough to do a lot of things we do with our normal computers, but maybe not powerful enough to actually securely um, uh, rid themselves or prevent malware infection. So I, I think this is something that needs to be looked at carefully as we go forward because I see mobile computing as being really the kind of one of the main modes, if not the main mode of computing going forward into the future. Now, from a legal perspective, what do you see the next steps being for the industry when it comes to fighting these types of attacks, whether those attacks be online or otherwise, such as on a mobile device? Well, uh, from a legal perspective, uh, it's, it's uh, unfortunately on the criminal side, at least, it's somewhat outside the bank's control. There has to be coordination, cooperation with law enforcement, because law enforcement is ultimately the, the actor in this case who's going to actually go out there 
and um, prosecute and investigate this, these criminal rings. From a banking point of view, uh, legally, what, what, as I mentioned earlier, sharing information, gathering information within the industry and with law enforcement is, is key. But also, um, again, not just sitting back and waiting for law enforcement to act. Proactively pushing the information and pushing these investigations as much as possible with law enforcement is very important um, in making sure that they are focused on these issues. And again, that's oftentimes not a legal matter, but more of a relationship matter or a political matter to make sure that uh, the law enforcement is keeping their eye on the ball and they have the information and tools they, they need in order to actually further these cases. And you noted in response to that question that it is difficult for financial institutions to have a great deal of control. But when it comes to losses and liability, what kinds of losses and liability do financial institutions face if they're breached via one of these types of attacks? Right. I mean, beyond the kind of you know, intangible reputational type of issue where potentially online banking is viewed as is something that is risky for consumers or, or small businesses. I think that legally uh, they have to understand that uh, if it's individual consumers uh, under federal law in the U.S. at least, there, there would be no liability for those consumers if they were subject to some sort of online banking fraud and money was transferred out of their account. Um, for other types of customers, business customers, uh, we've seen a rash of lawsuits involving um, fraudulent wire transfers, uh, usually uh, some sort of situation where the online banking credentials of the customer were uh, obtained, oftentimes from the customer uh, itself. And uh, we've seen a couple cases that have gone past a motion for summary judgment uh, to a potential trial, the Shane Jekyll case, the EMI versus Comerica case, um, where the issue has become uh, whether or not there was commercially reasonable security in place under UCC 4A202 and whether the bank acted in good faith. So these cases involve substantial sums of money, and uh, it's unclear at this point uh, who's going to be on the hook for that, the, the banking customer or, or the bank itself. On that count, what insulate banks from liability against small business or business customers are, are their contracts. Um, if banks uh, can set their contracts up properly around their security obligations uh, as guided by UCC 4A202, uh, they can potentially shift the risk to the customer and avoid liability. So uh, legally speaking uh, and liability speaking, uh, I think uh, banks should take a look at their contracts and understand where, what they say at this point relative to uh, the UCC and other legal obligations. And then before we close, I wanted to ask if you could provide the top three legal takeaways. When we look at the recent arrests for these cyber attacks, the two separate arrests that took place last week, what would you say the top three legal takeaways are? I think, again, the first one and very key, gathering, standardizing, uh, centralizing information about these types of attacks within the industry and then with law enforcement in order to support the legal prosecution efforts not only uh, for people that are already arrested, but going into the future. As, as this type of activity essentially mutates, uh, understanding where it's going, how it works, who the individuals are, who, what individuals may be uh, able to be prosecuted, whether or not those individuals can lead to uh, prosecutions further up the line. This is, has to be a very ongoing and proactive effort by the industry. Beyond that, kind of more looking to the liability side, the issue of commercially reasonable security and strong authentication and what standards are and guidelines are there needs to be worked on uh, within the industry, but also uh, within each financial institution. There has to be a collaboration more so than ever between um, the financial institution's uh, internal counsel and their internal security uh, teams uh, in order to understand what security measures are in place around online banking, 
what security measures are possible or should be considered, and what security measures ultimately will provide the most legal protection in terms of supporting a commercially reasonable security argument. That's how the banks are going to address their liability issues. And then the other thing I mentioned earlier as well, um, look at the contracts. Uh, banks need to take a careful look at their online banking contracts and make sure they track against UCC 48202, make sure they have good limitation and liability language in there, uh, consequential damage disclaimers, and other types of terms that will help the bank insulate itself if they are subject to one of these attacks. Um, all three of these things, I think, will help um, banks ultimately, hopefully in the first instance, stop the attacks from happening at all but also supporting arguments as to why they should or should not be liable. Thanks for your time today, Dave. I appreciate it. Again, we've just heard from Dave Nevada, founder of the Information Law Group. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.